You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, would you say? Amen. And uh, it's a beautiful time of the year. I love this time of the year. In fact, most of the people I talk to, when I ask them, uh, how, how do you like this time? You know, what's your favorite time of the year? Honestly, I would say 95% say in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Just Thanksgiving to Christmas. That whole, that's just my favorite time of the year. I would agree. I love it. I love it for a lot of different reasons. I mean, Christmas is exciting. One of the things I love about Christmas is the songs of Christmas. I love Christmas music. I've got it, Caroline, good day. You get in my car. We're going we're gonna to be listening to some Christmas music. I'm a Bing Crosby fan. I like Amy Grant's collection of Christmas music. Uh, I even like um, Air Supply's old song on Christmas music. That's a good one. And uh, I love Christmas music. Just hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring ting tingling too. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Come on, the snow is falling and friends are calling. Yoo-hoo! Come on, it's lovely with the poor sleigh right together with you. I love Christmas music. It's a, it's a great thing. And then I love the Christmas lights. If you have not yet gone on a date, hold hands with your wife, I haven't, so I'm going to do it. Preaching to the choir. It's okay. It's okay. I could be under conviction by the Holy Spirit in my own preaching. That's good for you, by the way. That's good. And uh, walk down. Now, my family's already done this. They've already done this. They've done the hot chocolate thing and walk downtown, see the lights. So we're going to do it. Maybe tonight. Maybe tonight. Because I need to get right with God right now. So maybe they're not. Yeah. We'll go downtown, look at the lights, see the trees. Garvin Gardens, huh? Wow. This city is rich in Christmas lights. It's beautiful. It's fun. It really is. Decorations. Christmas decorations. Oh, my goodness. I decorate the, our house. So it's, it's, it's okay. It's not great. I just, it's my thing. She knows it. I love it. You know, a little generic. Doesn't have the fancy women's touch, but it's, 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 it's okay. All right. And I love it. But. If you want to see some real Christmas decorations, drive down Prospect Avenue, 30 seconds away. Drive by Vince Russo's house and Bridget and John Clowers and Diana's house. And you'll see the best Christmas yard decorations on planet Earth. I was going to say Hot Springs, but I, I mean, seriously, Vince, it's incredible. I, I go by every day. That's not a lie. Every day during Christmas, I go down Prospect Avenue to get somewhere. I go out of my way to go down to drive by Russo. You say, well, where do they live? Don't worry. Just drive down Prospect. The two most incredible yards are their yards. Knock on their door, have dinner with them tonight. They'll love it. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. But uh, go by and see those Christmas decorations. But is that really, is that what Christmas is all about? You know, sometimes I wonder if we have lost the wonder of Christmas. As I think about the next five Sundays, I'm convinced that two things are going to happen throughout the, throughout the month. Number one, people are going to be sitting in our auditorium, maybe even here this morning. And, and they're going to, maybe for the very first time, be amazed at Jesus. Maybe for the very first time, they're going to feel that the Holy Spirit drawing them to himself, to Jesus. And, 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 and for the very first time, they'll make a decision to follow Christ and, and, and be baptized like Maya did today. I, I'm convinced people could be in our services that, honestly, this will be their opportunity to know who Jesus is 
in a personal way. Secondly, I think there's a lot of church members sitting here today. I mean, church is normal to you. You do it every Sunday of every month, of every year, of every decade. It's part of your DNA. You go to church just like you eat breakfast, just like you will have lunch this afternoon, just like you'll go to work on Monday. I mean, church is it's part of your life. It's part of your routine. I mean, Christmas is, yeah, it's part of our celebration. We get it, Easter, Christmas. But what's happened is, is we've gotten caught up potentially in some of these things I talked about, which are not bad things, but we, we've misplaced something. And what's going to happen over this next month is, prayerfully, we're going to come back to a place where we understand what really is the true meaning of Christmas. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, the prophet Isaiah prophesied 2,700 years ago, he said this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called. Question, what's in a name? Is a name really all that important? There was a time when a person was given a name and that name identified with that person's character or personality. Names and titles are often related to some aspect of that person's personality. For instance, Alexander the Great, William the Conqueror, Bible, Simon the Zealot, John the Baptist, Oh, we see this all throughout Scripture. People go to court to actually sometimes change their name. Parents agonize over naming their children. They purchase books. They think about it. They go back and forth. They get people involved. It's a huge project. Why? Because names have an impact on our life. Names do make a difference. Names are especially meaningful in the Bible. For instance, Adam means red earth. Why? Because the Bible says that God created Adam out of the dust of the earth. We read that Isaac means laughter. That's what his name means. Why? Because the Bible says that Sarah, his mother, laughed when she heard she was going to have a child. At the age of 90, I would laugh too. And then Jacob Jacob, that great deceiver, that name means supplanter, deceiver. Oftentimes we see in scripture that Jacob lived up to his name. Thank God it was changed later to Israel. When our Savior was born, the angel of the Lord Gabriel said this to Joseph. Actually, it would be better said she instructed Joseph in Matthew Chapter number one, verse 21, she will give birth to a son, Joseph, and you are to call his name Jesus. Joseph and Mary would immediately have known the meaning of that name because it was the Greek rendering of the Hebrew name Jehoshua, which means Jesus saves. Jesus saves. This Christmas series is actually going to be a prequel to the main series of messages around next year's theme starting in January of 2024. 
Christ or Jesus, our magnificent one. Jesus, our magnificent one. Consider this like, uh, uh, this series like a trailer to the movie. Consider this series a prequel to the theme. And let me say this about next year's theme and mark it down and, and hold me to it. And if I'm wrong, I want you to call me, text me, email me and say, preacher, you blew it. Because I'm going to say this statement about next year's theme just to get you excited. It will be by far in 31 years the greatest theme that Gospelites ever had. You say, how do you know? Just wait and see if you don't agree. This year's theme is going to be incredible. And so, for five weeks, we're going to run a trailer to the movie of 2024. It's going to be incredible. And I can hardly, I can hardly wait. This Christmas series, we're going to preach a series called Jesus the Magnificent One. That word magnificent is is really a powerful word. And it is a word that comes from that word. And that word is magnificat. Magnificat is a hymn experiencing Mary's joy at the Annunciation. That's the traditional meaning of the word magnificat. The Annunciation was the announcement of the incarnation by the angel Gabriel to Mary. Magnificat is Latin for the word magnifies. In fact, that was the first words that came out of Mary's mouth as, as she sang this hymn, if you will, or wrote this hymn, or had Luke write the, or, uh, Mary Magdalene write this hymn to give to Luke. She said in Luke chapter 1 and verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, the magnificent one. I want you to see just a little piece of what it might have looked like that evening as Mary spoke to Mary Magdalene, what the angel Gabriel told her. Take a look. Christ, Jesus, our magnificent one. Mary's Magnificent was an amazing hymn of praise to Jesus. But if Isaiah would have had a Magnificent that magnified Jesus, that was all about our coming Savior, I think it would be called Jesus, our magnificent one. Because 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah saw him coming and wrote of his magnificence. It was a very bleak time in the history of Israel when Isaiah was writing these words. And these words were a a ray of light in a very dark time in the world at that time. And I believe this morning that that these words today can be a ray of light to our church and to our city and to our nation In a time that is very dark as well. Isaiah 9, 6 says this. For unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. It's a five-fold description of Jesus, the Messiah. It is probably the most comprehensive statement of who Jesus is and what he came into the world to do. In this little text, you have his humanity and you have his deity. Unto us, a child is born. That's humanity. Unto us, a son is given. And that is his deity. This child was unique. He was born and he was given. He was both God and he was man. 
As a man, he was born as God. He was given. He was the Father's love gift to a sinful world. And this child would be God in human flesh. And then you have five titles given to the Lord Jesus Christ, which summarizes everything that Jesus would be and everything that Jesus would do. And what would this child do? Well, look at the next phrase in the text. He, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. He would grow up and take the government of mankind upon his shoulder and bring order and peace to a world filled with confusion in a world filled with chaos but before he would do that he would first take the cross on his shoulder and die for our sins before he would wear the crown of diadem he would wear the shameful crown of thorns and in between that word given and that word and there's an interesting little punctuation called a colon and that colon represents 2,000 years of history up until this very date and then notice there's five titles given to the name of the Lord Jesus and in these we have the real meaning of Christmas the real meaning of Christmas that first name we come upon is the first sermon and we're going to consider that word wonderful As I see it today and as I see it in your eyes, life can become very dull and very difficult for so many people in this room. Sunday mornings is, we're on a high. Uh, If you're like me, you really look forward to this day. I mean, this is the day where we can come together and be encouraged and fellowship and worship together and and, and read the scriptures together and sing together. And and so we're encouraged. But I'm going to tell you, Monday morning, when you get out of bed, it won't be long before this world has a way of punching you right between the eyes it can get difficult really quick it can get sometimes even dull really quick and we lose the real meaning of life we get caught up in the busyness of christmas in the hustle and bustle of the season and and we forget that this is not what it's all about so how can we this morning remove that dullness how can we relieve ourselves of some of the difficulties of life and make it wonderful I want to give you three keys to cherish this Christmas as we consider our wonderful Lord. The first one is very important because I really believe that probably most of us have fallen into this at some time or another, maybe right now, and that is this. Number one, don't misplace your source of wonder. What does the word wonderful mean? I mean, it's, it's pretty fascinating to to look up this word in the dictionary and and see how it has been attempted to be described. The word wonderful means inspiring delight, pleasure, and admiration. Extremely good, marvelous, transcendently glorious above everything we have ever known. In fact, most of us in this room have all heard statements using the word wonderful as an adjective to describe something, right? Like, that was a wonderful meal. Thank you. Oh, she's such a wonderful person. He's a wonderful man. Wasn't that a wonderful surprise? That was a wonderful song. We use the word wonderful to describe many different contexts, no doubt. And there are many things that provide a measure of temporary satisfaction in this world. But 
let me emphasize the word temporary. Most of the things this world calls wonderful, most of the things you and I wonder at and act like we're amazed at, before long, we need something else. It runs its course. It doesn't last. It doesn't provide satisfaction or purpose. Many things in this life appear wonderful in our eyes. That's why we must watch out for substitutes for the true wonder of Christmas. When I looked up this verse in the Matthew Henry, Henry commentary, there was a, a statement that Mr. Henry made that I, wanna, I want you to see this, this morning. Mr. Henry said about that word, he said, Justly is he called wonderful, for he is both God and man. His love is the wonder of angels and glorified saints. In his birth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection and ascension, he was wonderful. Jesus is the adjective of our life. He describes life. He is wonderful this morning. Sadly, without Jesus in our lives, we lose the wonder of life and we lose the the meaning of life because we misplace our source of wonder. How do we do that? How do we actually misplace our source of wonder? Why are some of us not as amazed at the wonderful Lord that we serve? Why is it difficult sometimes for some of us to come to church and really worship God with full surrender? Why was it that as we read Maya's testimony, a newly converted child of God, as she shared full surrender, and and, and we, we listen to that and we think, man, where has that gone for me? Where have I lost the wonder? Could I suggest some areas? Number one, mechanical things can become our source of wonder. We live in a mechanical world filled with gadgets and technology. You look at the average teenager today and their phone is attached to their hand and their eyes are attached to their phone. It's hard to get anyone to look up anymore. Because we've got too much interest in Facebook and TikTok and Instagram and following this and following that and being involved in the latest technology. And it seems as if that life has become impersonal and we've lost face-to-face communication. We even text people in our own home while we're in the home. It seems that our wonder runs out when the old iPhone becomes obsolete. And we just need the new one. So we can recharge our wonder again. When life loses its meaning, life seems to lose its wonder. We misplace our source of wonder in technology and mechanical things and gadgets. And then secondly, material things become our source of wonder. We're living in a material world. Isn't that what Madonna said? I'm a material girl. Living in a material world. We live in such a commercial world. Making a living has replaced making a life. It's true. We're always searching for new schemes and shortcuts that have replaced discovering truth and building character in our lives and in the lives of our children and grandchildren. We're living in a busy world and we suffer from the barrenness of busyness. And the busier we get, the more our values decline. There's little time to pause and contemplate the wonder of it all. Little time. We're just so busy. We've got so much going on. 
that to think to take a time out, and I mean, it's hard enough just to find time to go to church, much less to wonder at Christmas at our wonderful Lord. Thirdly, manufactured things can become our source of wonder. We live in an artificial world. We live on substitutes. Even, our, even in our own foods, we experience this. Crude comedy has replaced good humor. And cheap amusement has replaced wholesome entertainment. And when we live on the artificial, we lose the real and we begin to live for the pursuit of pleasure by trying to manufacture wander. God warns of people who become lovers of pleasure. Listen to what he said in 2 Timothy in chapter 3 and verse 1 through 5. But know this. Hard times will come in the last days. What exactly are you talking about? Hard times will come in last days. Well, let me tell you. People are going to be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, demeaning. They'll be disobedient to their parents. You'll see an uptick in ungratefulness and unholiness. Unloving. Irreconcilable. Slanderers without self-control. Just brutal. Without love for what is good. They'll be traitors. Reckless. Conceited. Lovers of pleasure. More than lovers of God. Holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. When each experience must be greater than the last, we have lost the wonder. And this is one reason why we need church. This is one reason why I love to come to this place on Sundays. Because it brings us back to the wonder of God and his word. We come to this place after a busy week. And and as I mentioned, the dullness and difficulty of life kind of take its toll. And then we get to step into the the sanctuary and with God's people. And we hear the worship and we experience the fellowship. And it just seems as if there's something about being in this place together that brings us back to the wonder of it all. In fact, this morning, a whole sermon on the word, wonderful, but not wonderful technology, not wonderful gifts, not wonderful lights and wonderful songs, but a wonderful Lord. And his name is Jesus, and he's magnificent. And this morning, we came to church to experience that and to worship him as only he should be worshiped. Don't misplace your source of wonder because it won't last. Only Jesus is truly wonderful. Number two, magnify the wonderful works of Jesus. Don't misplace your source of wonder, but in addition to that, magnify the wonderful life of Jesus Christ. Think with me for just a moment about some of those incredible works of Jesus. I mean, isn't he amazing? I mean, what about in the Old Testament when Moses stood there at the banks of that great sea and he holds up the rod of God and and he speaks the words of the Lord and the waters part and the children of Israel walk on dry ground. 
They get all the way across, and then the sea closes, and, and the enemy armies drown. If you're hearing that for the first time, pretty amazing, isn't it? That's kind of the stuff God does. He's wonderful. That's really all I can say to that. And then what about in the days of Joshua? When God stopped the sun in its course and answered to the prayer of the captain of the host of Israel. And he, Joshua stands there and the sun stands still. And five enemy armies are defeated in that moment that the sun stood still. Only something God could do. Why? He's wonderful. And then in the days of Elijah... When the Lord God sent fire from heaven and burned up the bullock and licked up the water in the trenches and defeated the prophets of Baal, that amazing story. So long ago, but yet still wonderful. And then what about 50 years ago? The anniversary of that revival in South Korea when Billy Graham, the evangelist, often described as somewhat of a modern-day apostle, Paul stands in front of an audience on the fifth day of the revival, day number five. One million people show up spreading across that war-torn country during the Korean War in 1973. And Mr. Graham stands in front of an audience of one million South Koreans, preaches the gospel, and 75,000, they say, estimate Receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, making a profession of faith. One million people. Fifty years ago. The same wonderful Lord. And what about more recently? When a handful of people gathered on the corner of 3rd and South. In a little old building that wasn't much of anything. It had metal chairs and leaks in the roof. And congregants on rainy days coming with umbrellas because it rained inside the building. Roaches and rats felt their home there, but so did the people of God. And as the gospel was preached and God blessed over the years, somehow, some way, from a little limousine picking up people and bringing them to the church to these facilities that I can't explain. You say, preacher, how did all this happen? I don't really know except God is wonderful. He's wonderful. And we in this season should be magnifying the wonderful works of our God. Our Lord is called wonderful. Why? Because he's great. He's unique. He's set apart. He's unlike any other God. They say that a picture paints a thousand words. But in this sermon, one word paints a thousand pictures. And that word is wonderful. His name is wonderful because of who he is. He is the I am of Moses. He is the king of glory. He is the great shepherd. He's the bright and morning star, the lily of the valley. He's the altogether lovely one. He's the rose of Sharon, the great physician. He is the word of God, the savior of the world. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the redeemer. His name is wonderful. And there's something like 700 names. Aren't you glad I didn't choose to read all 700? That's just a handful. All I had time for this morning, sorry. There's 700 names attributed to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why his name is truly wonderful. And and one name could not express the infinite virtue and glory of the Son of God. All words combined can't describe and can't equal my wonderful Lord. 
four wonderful things about the Lord Jesus I'd like to share with you this morning is in this Christmas season is number one, his birth is wonderful. His birth. His birth is wonderful. Listen as I read Luke chapter 2 and verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. What? His birth was prophesied 700 years before. Wait, 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 time out. I didn't say that right. His virgin birth was prophesied 700 years beforehand. Jesus may have been born, but he was no ordinary baby. Can I get an amen right there? He was the Savior of the world. He was flesh, but at the same time, he was God. In fact, his birth was anything but ordinary. Paul tells us in Galatians 4.4 that when the time came to completion. What time? What time are we talking about here? Century upon century, all history had been working, preparing the world for the coming of the Savior, the Son of God. And then the night of all nights. The night which destiny and history would meet. The night the stars lowered like lamps in a holy sanctuary and the angelic choirs who had been in practice and preparation since the dawn of eternity began to sing... For unto us a child is born, dun, dun, dun. unto us a, dun, dun, dun. a son is given, unto us. You ever heard Handel's Messiah? I know what, I can't wait to get to heaven and sing Handel's Messiah, Otis, with a millions of people at the throne of God. Amen. Can you imagine what that's going to sound like? And I hope you'll be there to hear it. It's going to be amazing. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful. His birth was wonderful. Secondly, his words, his words are wonderful. You ever heard that old hymn? Wonderful words of life, let me more of their beauty sing. Wonderful words of life, words of something. Duty, keep me failing, duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. I love it. Luke 4, 22. And I'll bear him witness and wondered. Wondered at what? Wondered at his gracious words, which proceeded out of his mouth. His gracious words. Jesus could turn the profound into simple. Jesus could take a seed and turn it into a sermon. He turned water and air into pictures of the Holy Spirit. People wondered at his words. He didn't speak a language people couldn't understand. He did not try to impress people with his intellect. He didn't gather in a congregation like this and so that you could walk out and say, man, that guy sure is smart. I don't really understand much of what he said, but boy, he sure is smart. That wasn't what Christ did. In fact, in John 7, 45, it said, The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And here's all the officers could say. No one ever spoke like this man. Mark tells us that the common people heard him gladly. They, They understood him. Jesus spoke in a language they could understand. Why? Because his words are wonderful. He gathered around. People and everybody understood him. Number three, his works are wonderful. Listen to Luke chapter 8 and verse 35. Here's Jesus as he is helping and healing a man who's possessed with a demon. People came to see what had happened. 
They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully dressed and completely sane. And as a result, they were filled with awe and wonder. Jesus turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. Whatever he touched, he blessed and beautified. I mean, he he did good on the Sabbath. He healed the blind. He healed the sick. He restored the withered hand. He preached the gospel to the poor. And altogether, we can echo the words from Job chapter 37 and verse 16. Do you know the balancing of the clouds? The wondrous works of him who has perfect knowledge. His birth was wonderful. His words are wonderful. His works are wonderful. And finally, his death and resurrection were wonderful. Listen to this in Luke 24, as he appeared to his disciples after his death and after his resurrection. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. And so he said to them, got anything to eat? That's why I love lunch after church, amen? We're going to marvel first, and then we're going to eat. We just serve a great and marvelous and amazing Lord. Don't misplace your source of wonder. Magnify the wonderful works of Jesus. And finally, in conclusion, meditate on the wonderful effects of Christ in your life. Now, this is a tough one. This is why I believe we've lost the true meaning of Christmas. It, 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 just, it, just, it just is. We don't take time to meditate on the wonderful effects that Christ has had on our life. We don't take time to stop and sit and ponder the goodness of God. We, we use a Sunday morning service to do that. And throughout the week, if we're not careful, we can leave behind these moments that we are to meditate. Could I give you somewhat of a, of a pattern to follow? As you meditate, number one, the more you know him, the more you will love him. And then the more you love him, the more you will obey him. And here's what's awesome. The more you obey him, the more you glorify him. This morning, I was, I was honestly having a moment with the Lord as I was glorifying him in song and thinking about the moments this week that I was tempted to disobey him. I mean, I had some close calls this week. You, anybody else in this room have a close call? I did. I had some close calls with disobedience. In fact, I had a few failures, just like you did. I know. I, I didn't get 100. I, I don't know what my grade was this week. God doesn't care about grades, right? But I do know this. It was surely nice to glorify God because of his forgiveness, yes, but also because the moments and times I obeyed him and he kept me from temptation and he kept me in his grace and in his will. It was an amazing thought to just glorify him for that. I'm just so thankful today. I'm here and preaching and serving and married and and, and able to share with my friends and family. Listen, we serve a God who is worthy of being glorified. And the more you love him, the more you want to serve him. And the more you serve him, the more you want to obey him. And then you want to glorify him. Let me give you three areas you can meditate on, on your wonderful Lord. Just consider these things. Number one, think about his forgiveness of you. Start there. You're forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness 
of our sins according to the riches of his grace. And you know what's cool about Jesus? He doesn't weigh our good points against our bad points. He just forgives. He just forgives. I want to be a better forgiver because I've been forgiven so much. Number two, think about his faithfulness to you. Lamentations 3, 22, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Meditate on that just for a minute. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Even when we get astray and even when we, we fall and we we're tempted to, to walk away, even then, he never lets us out of his care. He's faithful. And then, think about his friendship to you. John 15, 13 says, No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Does anybody know anybody who's laid down their life for you? Jesus. Jesus, what a friend. You might know this song, but you don't know the writer of it, I'm sure. His name was Joseph Scriven. He lived from 1820 to 1886. And about 150 years ago, he wrote a song called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And I don't normally ask you to, when I do ask you to raise your hand, I don't require it. I just, because only two of you do. But... Could I ask everyone here to just think for a moment, participate. If you've ever heard the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, would you raise your hand across the building? Wow, I, I think that's everybody. Let me tell you the story behind the song. And while I'm t- telling it, meditate on his friendship. Joseph Scriven gives his life to Christ at a young age. As he's living for Christ, God brings a beautiful woman into his life, a precious Christian girl, and he asks this girl to marry him. On the eve of their wedding, she drowns, and she dies. He steps back from that moment, not really understanding what all is happening. He anchors himself again in the hope he has in Christ. A few years later, he meets another wonderful Christian girl, and he gets engaged to her, and she becomes his fiance. Two months before they were married, she died of pneumonia. Joseph Scriven. He steps back and says, you know, maybe, maybe I just need to fully surrender to Christ and not be married, and that's what he did. He gave his life, get this, to widows. He served widows his entire life. Widows, amen. And... He, he gave to the poor, he, everything he earned. He, it was often said, as I read, he gave everything he had to the poor. He even gave his own clothes at times to the poor. He was especially set on feeding the poor. And that's what he gave his life to. One day, the only real woman in his life, his mother, was passing. She was very sick. Joseph was led to write a poem to comfort his mother in her dying. He sat down. And began to write these words. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. 
What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. He continues to write that beautiful poem. He presents it, he presents it to his mother on her deathbed. She's comforted by those words. Mr. Scriven then later in life is dying himself. He has a friend that comes to his bedside. Sits and talks to his buddy Joe. Sees a piece of paper folded over on his bedside table. Says, you mind if I read it? He takes it and reads it. Said, when did you write this poem? He said, oh, just to comfort my mother when she was dying. It's just a simple, who did you write it with? Just her. Who have you shared it with? Nobody. I haven't shared it with anybody. Joseph passes. Little did he know that that poem he wrote for his mother would become a poem that would settle into the hearts of everybody in this room. Sing it with me. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I have a quote I'll read you. From Mr. Scriven. You got that, Millie? On one occasion, when Joseph became ill, a friend who was visiting with him discovered a poem near his bed and asked who had written it. Scriven said, the Lord and I did it between us. He thought the poem would perhaps bring some spiritual comfort to his mom, who still lived in Ireland. Scriven had not intended that anyone else should see it. Wow. The story behind the song. What a friend we have in Jesus. He can make your life wonderful this morning. Can I tell you why he can do it? Because that's his name. That's his personality. That's who he is. He's wonderful. And he can make your life wonderful. He is the source of our salvation. He can bring hope into our hearts. He can break sin's bondage. He can lift the heaviest burden in this room. His name can comfort the broken heart. His name is worth knowing because it speaks of a Savior who is worth loving. His name is everything. His name unlocks the door of heaven and his name closes the gates of hell. His name saves the vilest sinner. His name redeems the blackest soul and it secures the precious saints. His name is wonderful. And his name may be Jesus. But that name cannot tell all there is to know about him because he's just too wonderful. And when I meditate on the effects that Jesus Christ has had in this 58-year-old life, all I can say is this. He is. Well, he's just wonderful. So don't misplace the wonder of it all. Magnify the wonderful works of Jesus and meditate on the wonderful effects that Christ can have in your life. Can I close by reading you a story? 
It's a story about a name by the name, by someone by the name of Audrey Meyer. Listen, Audrey Meyer never intended to write a song on that Christmas day in 1955. She was focused on the children's nativity scene and the sermon as she quietly sat in church at Bethel Union Church in Duarte, California. Her husband's brother, Dr. Luther Meyer, was the pastor. The joyful congregation was focused on the reenactment of the nativity scene. The children dressed as shepherds were covered in oversized bathrobes. Some of the angels' halos were slightly crooked, singing the glories of glorious old carols and hearing the scripture passages had great meaning. The powerful prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 went down deep into Meyer's soul as she cherished those words as her brother preached. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. When that familiar scripture was concluded, the pastor lifted his hands. He closed his eyes, and here's what he said. His name is wonderful. There must have been a holy hush in the Miss Meyer's soul. I felt as if I heard the rustle of angels' wings, and a musical chorus came to my mind. She exclaimed on, on the flyleaf of her Bible. She quickly wrote the words that her brother-in-law had just proclaimed. His name is wonderful. After she wrote it three times, she added the sacred name of her Lord. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. It remained as only a short chorus for a few days until she completed all of the music and a fuller description of who Jesus is. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He is the mighty King, master of everything. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord, oh, listen, he's the great shepherd, the rock of all ages. Almighty God is he. Bow down before him. Love and adore him. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. Here were her last words on her deathbed. I've got them for you on the screen. His name is wonderful will outlive the chubby human hands chosen to write a few black notes on five lines and four spaces. But it will never outlive the father who glories in his son's name and who glories in our praise. And then she passed to meet her father. I have two goals this morning. The first one is this. That there may be someone in this room who's never experienced my wonderful Lord. You've never come into a personal relationship with him. In fact, you might be sitting here today and thinking, I will say this, he's pretty convinced that his Lord is wonderful. It's got me interested. 
I'm I'm, I'm a little intrigued by this Jesus. I've never experienced what I'm seeing in this place. God brought you here for a purpose. If that's you or anything like that describes this moment in your heart, I want to invite you to come forward in just a moment, if you would, and let me or one of our elders know so that we can go into a a more profound, deeper conversation where we can share with you what Jesus Christ has done in our lives and offer you the opportunity to accept him as your Savior. And it wouldn't even take that. You could do it right now where you're seated. You could cry out and pray and trust Christ right now. And then others this morning. My second goal is for that church member that's been in church for years. Christmases come and go. The songs and the lights and the decorations have for a long time kind of taken preeminence over what I just preached. And maybe it's time to come back to come back to where you started where nothing else matters but Jesus isn't that what Christmas is all about is it about the decorations Eh, they're okay is it about the songs the carols they're fun is it about the lights we don't do a lot of Christmas decorations because we don't want it to overpower the real meaning of Christmas, which is who we're worshiping this morning. The lights complement the real meaning of Christmas. Are you plugged into that church member, Christian, follower of Jesus Christ? Or has Christmas lost its wonder? Have you misplaced it with something else? Come back. Come back to where you started. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I'm so grateful today for what you've done in this place. Thank you for a good beginning, a good beginning to a month where we're going to just celebrate your birth and your name because it's wonderful. It's counselor. It's mighty God. It's Prince of Peace and it's everlasting Father. And so as we've begun this morning with wonderful, I pray that, Lord, others would experience this wonder, the Christmas wonder. Jesus, draw people to yourself. Draw people back to the place where they began this journey. May we truly today celebrate Christmas with its true source, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand, shall we?